condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network. The world for people who think... Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Behind the Headlines. It is August 27th, and today, joining you in the studios are my, well, first of all, I'm Harrison Cayley. Joining me are my regular co-hosts, Elon Martin. Hi, everyone. Joe Quinn. Hi there. And Neil Bradley. Hi, everyone. And today, we're going to be discussing a few topics in the news for the past week or so. First of all, uh, Afghanistan. So apparently we've got uh, four more years at, ver- at the very least. Over the last weekend, I believe, um, Trump met with his various advisors and to discuss Af- Afghanistan. So he had all his advisors basically, apparently, tell him what's going on and what they can do and provide some plans. So they announced that Trump would be revealing the new Afghanistan plan in like a couple days after this meeting. And so we finally did that in a kind of televised event, laying out basically that he was going to go against everything that he's been saying for the past, um, I don't know, five years more. Mm -hmm. He's been tweeting about it for years, saying that Afghanistan is a total failure. We should just get out of there. Uh, It's a total waste of money. And um, that's pretty much one of the things that Trump campaigned on was to end these kind of foreign interventions and so-called nation building and tearing down other governments and, you know, sending American troops over there to do um, whatever it is they do over there. (laughs) And so, so that was the idea. A lot of people got behind him, but strictly, I mean, because of that, because he had what seems to be um, a fairly decent take or, um, you know, position on the endless wars that America has been involved in since, well, specifically for the past 16 years, but, uh, you know, going back even further than that. But Trump essentially said, well, it was, you know, I'm going against my intuition. My intuition was that we should get out, but for whatever reasons, we're going to stay in there. So where he announced that they were going to basically have like a mini kind of troop surge, but didn't reveal the numbers uh, various other news outlets have said that, uh, you know, for their sources, hard to know if they can trust them or not, um, about 4,000 uh, additional troops will be sent. Um, I've read that it would be like 1,000 actual, like, U.S. military troops and then, like, 3,000 contractors from various, like, mercenary organizations. Hard to know what the exact details are because the military is being kind of tight-lipped about what's going on. Just kind of rumors and various leaks saying, oh, well, maybe the, um, you know, it's prob- it's possible that the, you know, additional troops are being sent over as we speak. And that's pretty much it. Trump basically said, uh, called on the UK to support them and all their allies to kind of get on board. And in the meantime, uh, various other countries are saying what a bad idea it is and uh, including a lot of current or former Trump supporters. So today we're going to be discussing kind of what's 
what we think is really going on with Afghanistan and why it is that uh, Trump reneged on his initial mm -hmm. semi-promises and intuitions. Take it away. Take it away. <laughs> well, I mean, four, what do you say, 4,000 extra troops? Uh, Those are the rumors. Much, is it? No. Yeah, if that, oh, but, you know, so it's not... Go ahead. Well, but it's not like it's not like the U.S. has ever had like a huge number of troops in Afghanistan. Well, um, well, they did. I had about a hundred thousand. Was it that many at one point? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in 2010, 2011, mm. uh, just before they suppose they all came home. Uh, yeah. A lot of them did anyway. But um, but four thousand extra still four thousand extra would leave itself far below that figure. You know, I don't know exactly yeah. how many, maybe fifteen, yeah. twenty thousand, maybe maximum. You know. So, so, so are uh, there like ten to fifteen thousand there right now? Is that the numbers? Who don't, yeah, like, possibly something around that. Something something like that. I mean, you can never be one hundred percent sure, but that's officially I think it's ten or fifteen thousand. Yeah, so it's okay. you know it's so it's not that big a an increase. You know, there's not that mm -hmm. many troops there. It's not that big an increase increase. But yeah. of course, the whole question of <laughs> I mean, you go you go you could kind of go brain dead in a certain sense if you read read any more. Uh, Af um, mainstream media news reports about Afghanistan, or if you've been reading them over the past, you know, what was it now, 15 years mm -hmm. uh, since they went to Afghanistan, uh, if you read them and, and have been forced to uh, absorb or swallow the same old story, you know, I mean, what is it? Is it, what is it, 9 11? Is, yeah. is it sound, oh no, he's dead, right? So what is it now? It's just terrorism, right? And Maybe a bit of freedom and democracy is that still what it is after seventeen years? I mean, the whole thing is just so inane; it's, it's ridiculous, and uh, you never get a uh, the mainstream media has never given the public uh, an understandable or uh, logical explanation as to why. You know, and further it goes on, the more and more that the original uh, explanation just becomes like a joke. You know, yeah. Um, well, the government course, too. I mean, like yeah. like Trump himself doesn't give the real reasons either i mean in his in his little speech no. he essentially said um you know if well i mean i think he said like two things and one thing i remember is he said oh well if we just leave then it'll turn into like a a terrorist hotbed you know it'll just be overrun by yeah. terrorists that's right much it. and and then what well that that the narrative end is what america it's america world policeman yeah america do do you know, it's uh, they're there to keep uh, keep keep the peace all around the world, right? That's their only interest. Well, yeah, right, sure, whatever. Of course, people probably know about the uh, the. I mean, it's been talked about before, and not just by by us. It's it should be common knowledge at this point that there's large quantities of um, resources, not really oil or gas necessarily, but um, uh, minerals, gold, iron, rare earth minerals, and that kind of thing. Um, I mean, there's a, um, I think it was David Petraeus who said that explicitly probably about uh, four or five years ago, 2010, I think it was. Mm -hmm. I think we have we have him on the line, don't we, Harrison? Yes, we do. So, uh, General yeah, General Petraeus, uh, take it away. Uh, if Afghanistan can become the Central Asian roundabout, to use President Karzai's term, to where it can be the new Silk Road. Uh, think of the uh, implications for that, Re recalling that, of course, Afghanistan uh, is 
blessed with the presence of what are trillions, with an S on the end, trillions of dollars worth of minerals if and only if you can get the extractive technology, the human capital operated, the lines of communication to enable you to get it out of the country and all the rest of that. Very big if, and of course there's a foundation of security uh, that would be necessary on, on which to build all of that. But again, the prospects are very significant if you can achieve objectives. There you go. So not so much about terrorism or freedom and democracy as about money, the almighty dollar, obviously. So that was he was the uh, commander of basically of, the, of troops in Afghanistan um, at that point in time. So I suppose he was in a position to know, uh, but he's fairly candid there, unusually candid. So, you know, he's on, on TV basically saying that kind of thing. <laughs> Why can't the media just say, yeah, it's all about the money. We're trying to get this stuff out of there. But of course, that's not the only uh, reason and probably not even, maybe not even the main reason, I think, uh, because, you know, I think he was being honest there in, this, in, this, in saying that, uh, well, it's one thing to have trillions of dollars worth of minerals in a country under the ground in a very mountainous country like um, like Afghanistan. That's another, another thing to get access to them that requires an awful lot of investment. So that's not exactly, it's not like they can just walk in there. It's not like the military is in there scooping up the gold and diamonds off the ground, right? Um <laughs> So that's kind of down the line uh, uh, as a kind of bonus. But I think their main interest and uh, in Afghanistan is really about, um, I mean, it kind of goes back to, in a certain sense, the great game and why Afghanistan was, um, as the title of our show says, why Afghanistan was, was called the, the graveyard of empires. Although, you know, it wasn't necessarily the graveyard of empires in any strict sense, but certainly there were... Uh, uh, conflicts uh, fought there, and um, uh, it's been a very important uh, area of uh, Central Asia for uh, going back, you know, several hundred years, and even a few thousand years if you go back to Alexander the Great and stuff like that. He was involved in, uh, there, you know, in the Persian Empire. It's kind of like right there in the middle of, in a certain sense, in the middle of, uh, of of major civilizations that have been around for quite a long time. It's a mountainous area. It's kind of relatively sparsely populated for the for the size of the country. Um, so it's just been it has been a focal point, uh, and you know, for for understandable reasons when you look at the the, the different empires that have existed throughout throughout history and stuff. But uh, more recently, um, I mean, if you, the interesting thing is that if if we look at it from this perspective, that um, it's basically the reason the U.S. Is, is is wants to stay has been in Afghanistan for 15 years and wants to stay there for basically for forever. Is because of the whole prospect of um, kind of Eurasian integration and this the whole One Belt One Road initiative by China, uh, um, basically doing deals with countries to its to its west, uh, in the form, pretty spectacular deals really, uh, in the form of uh, building those countries' infrastructure in order to um, to establish trade links for China to to the west, you know. Uh, basically Eurasian integration, economic integration of Eurasia. And Afghanistan sits right there in the middle of, uh, of, of of all of the kind of major powers in terms of the resources they have and the populations they have and stuff, you know. Um, I mean, it's it's in between. Um, Afghanistan is in between China and Iran, i.e. China and the Middle East. It's in between India and Pakistan and the Middle East. Um, it's in between more or less Russia and its... Uh, 
friendly states in the former Soviet republics and the Indian Ocean. You know, so it's very, very strategic today, you know, and it seems that it has been uh, strategic in the past as well, um, just the way that the world has been configured and stuff uh, in terms of empires. So it's, it's, it's been strategic for a very long time and it's extremely strategic right now. And, um, and that's why the U.S. wants, the, the Americans want to be there, you know, and I think they don't necessarily want to be there to do anything good. They want to be there to stop things, stop mm-hmm. what might be called good things from happening. Which yeah. uh, are bad things for the Americans from happening, which is Eurasian integration and the spread of the kind of breaking out of China westwards towards the Middle East, and it's already, China's already doing that. Like, you know, I mean, they, they've made this really. I mean, the thing about Pakistan, this sort of ties into what Trump was saying just recently about uh, his announcement. Um, you, you, re- you made reference to that Harrison, right? A mm-hmm. few minutes ago, what Trump was saying. Um, uh, apart from the the troop surge. 4,000 extra troops to Afghanistan. Uh, he was saying some not very friendly things to Afghanistan and some more friendly things, or sorry, not to Afghanistan, to Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Uh, not being very friendly to Pakistan and being a bit more friendly to India, you know, uh, suggesting that India take a, a more active role in Afghanistan. Uh, but of course, India is more or less blocked from Afghanistan, except for maybe a small sliver of contested border. Uh, by Pakistan, so you know Pakistan would be the one to really, you know, take take the lead role there. But of course, Pakistan's been uh, presented as a as a terrorist supporting nation, and um, um, so it's and and when you put that in the con- in context of uh, these, there's a deal that um, it's been ongoing for for several years now, um, called the China Pakistan Economic Corridor, which is part of the kind of One Belt One Road China initiative. It's pretty spectacular when you, when you look at the details of it. I mean, the Chinese are investing massive amounts of money uh, in, into infrastructure in Pakistan, uh, building high-speed railways and roads and electricity power plants and stuff. Because, you know, Pakistani, the Pakistan economy is a bit, a bit kind of decrepit, you know, and it needs this upgrading. And the Pakistanis are very happy to do it. And they seem to have, uh, they seem to have thrown their lot in with China because China has really made them a, made them a, a really good deal, you know. Um, and China, to a certain extent, is also exploiting that kind of. Um, well, not, they're not exploiting it, but you know, they they know that there's tensions between historic tensions between India and, and Pakistan, and sure, China would like India to come on board as well. But it seems that India uh, has come out of the closet as being pretty much kind of U.S. oriented or Western oriented. Now, India has a lot more trade with the U.S. than Pakistan has, probably like ten times as much. Imports and exports with with uh, with the U.S. and Pakistan, so it's 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 more hooked into the Western, particularly the, the U.S. And, and Western Europe system than, than Pakistan would be. You know, I mean, there's a whole offshore or what do you call it, outsourcing of jobs or exporting the jobs. You know, the when you call up like uh, computer tech support in America, you're more likely to be uh, transferred over to India. Someone sitting in India who's taking your call, you know, for Microsoft or for any of these tech support companies. You know, so there's been a lot of inve- American Western investment uh, in in India, uh, much more so than Pakistan. It's been Pakistan has been kind of like, you know, kind of to a certain extent sidelined by the West. Of course, India has a much bigger population, blah blah blah. But um, yeah, so it seems that uh, th- this is what they're concerned about. And recently, another interesting bit of information in response to what Trump said that Pakistan needs to stop sponsoring terrorism, blah blah blah, blah uh, and India should take a bigger role in uh, Afghanistan. Um, I think there's a there's a meeting coming up in the next few weeks where the Pakistani foreign minister is going to meet with going to Moscow, and there he's going to meet with the Iranian 
the Turkish and, of course, the Russians, uh, foreign ministers. They're all going to have a deal to actually discuss or have a talk to discuss uh, what Trump said and what it means for the region. You know, so they're going to be getting the lowdown on it and making and deciding what to do about it. Um, so, yeah, that seems to be kind of what the the main point going back uh, to 2002, the main reason why the U.S. went to Afghanistan and why they are still there and why Trump is Trump slash the U.S. military slash whatever the deep state is saying um, we're going to stay, you know, because, well, we can't let this just just go wherever it wants to go. We've got uh, our, our national interest is at stake, basically, i.e. by containing and, and thwarting uh, Eurasian integration integration wherever possible. Um, and, of course, this would be in, in, in Afghanistan. Uh, and the potential, of course, with the U.S.'s past history of, you know, not being a stranger, let's say, to to doing deals with or supporting covertly supporting jihadi or mercenary type groups to start little low intensity conflicts on border regions with countries, you know, um, like for example, border regions uh, of, of countries in this case uh, of Afghanistan, which as you mentioned would be China, uh, Pakistan, and even um, encouraging India or, you know, putting pressure on India to, to take a more belligerent approach to China over their border disputes. So there's all sorts of options there for the U.S. to kind of like provoke things, provoke conflicts and stuff, you know, and uh, and try and wreck this this kind of Eurasian integration plan that China has, with which which you know um, involves Afghanistan uh, as a as a kind of as as a centrally centrally located country there, you know, for for uh, Chinese expansion westwards. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's been said that um, uh, Steve Bannon, formerly of the Trump administration, uh, was actually kind of vociferously against uh, this uh, westward uh, development of the uh, One Silk, One, um, one Belt Road, uh, wanting to suppress China's um, development in that direction. Mm-hmm. And insofar in as... Uh, uh, Trump is on board with that idea, and it, it may very well be the case. That might have been one of the ideas that uh, that he kind of latched onto in supporting this idea of a, of a mini surge in Afghanistan. Um, on on the military side, you know, we had that quote from Petraeus. Uh, so you have the, these trillions of dollars in in uh, potential um, resources in the form of minerals. And you also have poppies and heroin, mm. uh, which mm. which has uh, jumped up in production since the U.S. has gone into Afghanistan in 2001 or 2002. Uh, Sybil Edmonds writes that uh, the number of users in the U.S. was uh, of heroin was under 200,000 people, and now it's something like four and a half million. Uh, so how is it that? that with the security that the U.S. has uh, supposedly brought to Afghanistan, uh, you have this, uh, this what, five, 20, 22-fold increase uh, in the amount of uh, heroin that's been made available to the U.S. And that's only the U.S. Um, and it's become a, a 
an absolute scourge uh, in in the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. It's the same in Iran and Russia, actually. Mm-hmm. So it's a serious all, all problem. The, yeah, go ahead. Serious problem. It's so just another dimension to uh, to U.S. participation in, in Afghanistan. There. Mm-hmm. Well, did you did you guys did any of you read uh, the latest couple articles from Terry Masson at uh, Voltaire Network? He was quoting this um, this military guy in the states. I think his name was Barrett or Barnett, um, and he's written a mm-hmm. few books. Now, I haven't, I wasn't familiar with his um, kind of like grand strategy, so I couldn't get all the details from from these Messon articles. But Messon was basically arguing that, um, from his perspective, like what he's been trying to say, is that the the U.S. hasn't been going to all these countries like Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, Syria. And now, you know, uh, threatening Venezuela, he ha- that they haven't been doing so to get the resources. Because, and, and the point he makes is kind of similar to the one Trump makes, is that you know we went to Iraq and we didn't even get the oil. Like they haven't, mm-hmm. in fact, like the what the American, um, you know, cut from the oil industry in Iraq is actually less than you know it was, and you know a fraction of what it, <clears throat> what it could be if if that was their actual objective. So it, what I think what he was arguing was that. This guy Barrett or Barnett, his his strategy was basically not that you go in, not that we need, that the American Empire basically needs to go into resource rich nations and take their resources. Mm-hmm. It's that whenever uh, countries with which are resource rich get a stable government that seems to be somewhat sovereign, that government needs right. to be taken out and the country needs to be destroyed, so mm-hmm. that so that the Americans uh, basically that the American Empire. Um, not necessarily takes the resources, but controls the the kind of um, flow. the flow of the resources. Yeah, and and, and, the, and the actual and the physical regional power structures. Yeah, and, and yeah. So uh, and, and maintains that, that, dependency on the system. Right, and that would fit into the to the goal of of stopping Obor, the one belt one road. It's because they want right. to control how resources are are funneled. And and therefore to prevent other countries from developing um, a control basically over just the the flow of of resources and and you know mm-hmm. how how money transfers between between powers. So mm-hmm. in that sense, then then Afghanistan has really been a total success for the past sixteen years because the country has been hasn't been functioning. You know, it's it's been mm-hmm. in a state of of war and even like you know civil war for the entire time and for the foreseeable future and so you can mm-hmm. say yeah it's been a great success it has and, and the thing is that um you know the the part of the i mean we've been, i've been i explained or i was talking about earlier in the show that you know it's, it's to stop the china china is basically like the biggest energy consumer in the world and is really energy hungry because it's you know the population and uh, and the the kind of um the way the way its economy is kind of booming and all of the building, uh, not not just uh, the building projects that it's undertaking in China but elsewhere uh, around the world to kind of expand out and stuff. And uh, so they need access and they want the energy energy security, you know. Um, and they right now they get a lot of their energy. They get a lot from Russia, but they also need to keep uh, getting uh, oil from the from the Middle East, you know, and this is why Iran is very uh, attractive to them because Iran has all of these oil and gas uh, resources. And this is why Iran, 
I mean, the, the, the Americans are in Afghanistan, and the most direct uh, route from you know eastern China to Iran would be directly through Afghanistan, along through the what's called the Wakhan uh, corridor, basically, which is this little sliver of land in Afghanistan uh, that connects to China. Mm. Uh, interestingly, that was actually during the in the 1800s. Uh, when the Brits and the Russians were fighting over Afghanistan and the first kind of iteration of the of the great game or whatever, they um in a settlement they agreed to draw add in that piece of border or that piece of land into Afghanistan so that the uh, at the time the British and the Russian empires would never uh, touch or territory of the British and Russian empires would never touch each other directly. So they added this bit of bit of land, you know, because you had Pakistan at the time, what is now Pakistan was part of uh, India and part of the uh, part of the British Empire, and then to the mm. north that they had the, the Russian Empire. So they would have touched each other. So they drew this little sliver of land called the Wakhan Corridor. It's only about like 50 kilometers wide or something like that. Uh, and it goes to China. But in in doing that a couple of hundred years ago, they um, they actually created this, uh, you know, uh, land border between China and Afghanistan. Mm. Uh, not, and that's, I mean, the thing is, it's too, it's too thin to be, uh, it, it can be used, but it's too thin for the Chinese to say, oh, that's all we need. Basically, we have a direct uh, line type of thing. You know, they need to um, to get to the Middle East. They would need to, and, and in terms of expanding out on this One Belt Road initiative, One Belt, One Road initiative, they want to kind of go through, they want to incorporate all of these countries, you know, and that's why they're developing and pouring money into them, you know, but they're being stymied in Afghanistan because America is there and you can't do anything when the Americans are there, right? Uh, but of course, to get to Iran, they can just go a little further south because uh, um, Pakistan and and China share a border that's kind of disputed by India, but it's still a border between Pakistan and China. Uh, so China can just go south. So uh, with with the with the Americans in Afghanistan, the Chinese just say, "Well, okay, we'll just go south into Pakistan. Uh, draw the draw the we'll, we'll make the pipelines." You know, a little further south to be a bit longer, but we can go directly into Iran that way, and then we can uh, the plans for Chinese are plans for building pipelines, gas pipelines in Iran from Iran through Pakistan uh, to, um, to to serve the Pakistani um, uh, economy, basically to, to to serve Pakistan to supply gas to pa- to Pakistan, but. In Chinese interest as well, because China is dumping loads, billions and billions of dollars into Pakistan to build its infrastructure, which it needs. You know, to have you can't have just build a bunch of kind of uh, apartment blocks, or whatever, with no, no way to heat them, right? So it has to be. It's it's full spectrum, if you know what I mean. It's all encompassing China's plan to to develop these countries. They don't just say they don't just say we'll build a road and there you go. It's like we'll build a road, we'll build houses, we'll build apartment blocks, we'll build pipelines, uh, so that you know the all the things that we build have energy supplied to them. Uh, and they also want to have access to Iranian gas via pipeline through Pakistan directly into China um, to increase their energy security because now they basically get most of their energy in the form of oil or liquefied natural gas via sea. Uh, and, of course, that has to go through the Malacca Straits, and that's been much talked about in recent years where the you know we had, a few years ago you had the Americans and the Australians having a military or naval naval drills that simulated blockading the Malacca Straits, right, to cut off China's uh, access or its the transport of China, uh, of energy from the Middle East to to China. So China just responds to that and, and says, "Well, okay, we'll just we'll just build pipelines over over the land, then, you know, and uh, and we'll do a deal with Pakistan and we'll dump a load of money into Pakistan and 
and it'll all be good. And America's like, you know, not very happy about that. So um, the thing is, I'm not sure what they can do. I mean, what America does best, and this is where it gets back to the, the troop uh, build up, you know, in Afghanistan. I mean, you don't, there's no point in dumping a bunch of, say, 100,000 or 200,000 troops into Afghanistan. There's no, there's nobody to fight, really, right? Uh, they don't need that amount of troops to, to really, um, in Afghanistan for, for any particular ends. Uh, but bases in several cases, which they obviously have after being there for 15 years in Afghanistan, and a certain number of troops to kind of like, you know, to provide cover, let's say, for, you know, because you've all sorts with troops in the, in the country and military bases around the country. You have all sorts of military flights going to and from bases and stuff, you know. Uh, it would be easy to, for, for people of a, of a certain mindset to, to use that as a cover for, let's say, stoking a kind of, uh, some kind of an insurgency or to funnel arms or even people into, uh, into Afghanistan where you could, you know, cause a few problems up towards the, uh, the Pakistan-Chinese border where there might be, you know, you could have roads being blown up or bridges being blown up by some new terrorist group that wanted, you know what I mean, the, the, basically the old story. Uh, so I think that's pretty much uh, the U.S. intention over and above just to expand it out a bit of why is America in Afghanistan? Well, it wants to be in Afghanistan to stop the, uh, the Chinese initiative coming west. Well, how would it do that? Well, it's not going to go to war directly with 15,000 troops, right? Well, the only plausible uh, alternative then to me is that they would be there to act as a cover or a presence basically for uh, a kind of a... You know, a kind of a serious situation to, to a certain extent, um, where jihadis are being supported uh, with American money and training and and weapons to cause uh, you know problems in terms of a, a conflict, a low level conflict for the Chinese uh, Chinese expansion west. And so it's not it's not surprising that you know Trump was hating on Pakistan recently and loving up on India. You know. Um, you see the Americans see India as their ally and Pakistan has basically jumped ship and Pakistan is already has already been uh, kind of uh, co-opted from the American perspective by the Chinese uh, and the Russians and the uh, you know and Iran and Turkey all these people who are out to get us now out to get the Americans now out to end the American century and uh, they're trying to do something about it and I don't think they're going to go away quietly basically that's why I'm suggesting that they're going to there's a good chance that you're going to see a an increase in, in violence in that uh, disputed region, for example, between Pakistan and India, which also just happens to be the area that uh, where the border with China is, which would be the area that uh, these roads and railways and pipelines would be going through. Mm. And is that the same area? Um, in the news of the last week, there was a, I didn't read it closely, so I can't remember the name of the actual area, but there, it's a disputed region um, between yeah. India and China, and what happened? Uh, if I correct me if I get no. this wrong, but uh, that's India. It's there's that's, that's on the other side of Nepal. The other side, next, okay, next to Bhutan. Yeah. However, there are, I believe, twenty-three disputed areas all the way along right. India's border with China. Yeah. So yeah. you see right there that uh, it's is rich for stoking up border conflicts. Yeah. And China yeah, even said but, that they were they were willing or even planning to launch a, a minor military operation in, in this one region um, mm-hmm. to basically get the the Indians out of there because uh, mm-hmm. there's there's been a 
there's been some conflicts like in the last week or two of in this one yeah. region. Yeah. So I mean, that's just a, I think that's just to put pressure on uh, on the Chinese because that doesn't directly influence or I mean, it, it kind of to a certain extent might take India out of out of the loop, uh, which obviously China would like to have uh, um, India as a partner in all of this. Uh, but it kind of it's been encouraged, I reckon, by by Western powers that India, you know, uh, and uh, has this uh, ramps up the rhetoric on this little this 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 area and any of the other ones, but that doesn't directly influence the, you know, China's expansion. Uh, it's um, mm-hmm. it's a, it's cooperation agreement with with Pakistan because China, uh, China has a has a border with Pakistan, but mm-hmm. um, but that could be the, the problem. The, the way what where India comes into that is that. The Chinese-Pakistan border um, is also an Indian border, uh, and there's two areas there, which is basically Kashmir, uh, and that's there's been fi- there's been fighting between the Pakistanis and the Indians, shooting back and forth, uh, well between Indian troops and Pakistani kind of militants, let's say, who India says are supported by the Pakistani government stuff, and the Pakistani government says no, they're not, but they probably are. Um, so there's disputed areas there of Kashmir, which are very central to this uh, uh, Chinese. Uh, the China-Pakistan economic corridor, as they call it, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, it's interesting to, to note also that um, in response to this, China moves in this direction over the past number of years. Just recently, I think in the past year or so, uh, Japan and India uh, developed this or came up with this Asia-Africa Sea Corridor, almost as a, as a pathetic attempt to kind of like compete with China's One Belt, One Road, uh, which was basically, you know, Obviously, they, Japan and India are pretty, pretty, pretty isolated from each other by China, primarily. Um, so there's going to be no, you know, there's no connection between those two. So they decided to have this sea corridor type situation, and um, their plan is to, you know, uh, Japan using its money invests in uh, in India, and also invests in kind of like different um, economic uh, partnerships and agreements to invest in uh, with India in. In Africa, hmm. so it's pretty much they're trying to do something similar to what China has been doing for the past ten years, really. Um, but it's pathetic, really, uh, and it's not going to go anywhere. It's doomed to failure. So it's pretty, pretty sad, you know. Um, but it's just interesting that in, someone's trying to take India or has taken India to a certain extent out of the out of the picture. And I think it's definitely the 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 West, you know, um, who seem to have uh, an ability to lean on on the Indians. Maybe economically, as I was saying previously. Yeah, I, and and that's kind of puzzled me as well because uh, India is a part of BRICS. Uh, they they have had a certain amount of uh, good communication with Russia and China and right. and, de- and developing economically. And mm-hmm. and now when it comes to um, possibly aligning itself with the U.S. Uh, and and throwing mm-hmm. a monkey wrench in any developments in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Uh, you know they're they're being leaned on and and kind of accepting this pressure from the U.S. to mm-hmm. well we'll we'll kind of see in the coming months what what it is they actually do. Yeah, uh, there's a historical there's a historical enmity between pretty serious I mean between Pakistan and India as well. You know, and I think that's being used to kind of like uh, to um, in a certain sense to make the make the maybe it could be used to make the Indians a bit paranoid. You know, about Pakistan because they're seriously paranoid about each other. Really, Pakistan and India, and that's all the because they're Brits, basically, uh, the way they divided it up, um, cut off Pakistan. But um, and and that's why they're. I mean, there's this ongoing. They've gone to war 
twice already Pakistan and India over this area of Kashmir, uh, which is, you know, in the north of both countries and uh, on the border with, with China. So that's definitely a, a flashpoint because it's got a long, long history there, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think if, if that's one, that's definitely something else that could be used to to kind of try and drag India away is to make them as paranoid as possible about about the Pakistanis, you know, and that you're better off with us, basically, you know. So what do we say about Trump's decision here? Was Were all his initial statements on Afghanistan, um, were they like sincere, but just kind of misguided in the sense that he didn't understand how central, um, you know, Afghanistan was to overall U.S. military and you know economic objectives? Um, was he just kind of... I think he's been made aware of that. And that's why he's doing he's done what he's done, no? Yeah. Yeah. I mean the guy's still pretty new, you know. I think he learned an awful lot over the past six months. I mean, you know, not being a Washington insider has had or had, let's say, its advantages, but it also has its has its disadvantages in the fact that he can go in there and he, he has to uh you know, try and catch up basically and figure out how the world really works. Because I'm sure like being Trump the businessman before he uh, became president, he really didn't know very much about any of what we're talking about, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, or he may have known a little, but he certainly didn't know. Uh, I doubt he knew the uh, the intricacies of it or, or what the U.S. agenda was, you know. I mean, because I mean, you can see the stuff that he. I mean, for him to come in blundering in in that sense and say, you know, this is ridiculous. You know, we're wasting money. Why didn't we get the oil? You know, when the military's wasting all this money, and I'm going to scale down the military. But saying all that stuff, you know, publicly strongly suggest that he really hadn't a clue what he was talking about, you know, and uh, and in terms of uh, he didn't understand how the world works and how America kind of maintains its hegemony. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't understand. He thought it, he probably bought into the idea of the American dream and, you know, capitalism, blah, 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 blah. He didn't realize that, you know, the way we stay on top is by making sure no one, like you were saying, Harrison, no one else mm-hmm. uh, we, we just, you know, go. it's like whack-a-mole. We're going around the world whack-a-moling anybody who, who, who it looks like they might be thinking about, uh, you know, um, developing in such a way that they could either challenge us or not challenge us directly, but could be a domino, if you know what I mean, or could set things off in, in the wrong direction where America would ultimately lose mm-hmm. its position. Mm-hmm. And all of that would have had to be explained to him, you know, and it's very complex and, and you kind of, to a certain extent, you make it up as, well, to a large extent, you kind of make it up as you go along, you know, uh, with a shifting geopolitical, geopolitical uh situation as it has been kind of radically shifting over the past number of years it's really it definitely is a case of kind of make it up as you go along you know mm-hmm. yeah, yeah um it it doesn't it doesn't it, if we allow that there was an overall idea for why they wanted to go into afghanistan to begin with let's say that hasn't changed what what we what joe's outlined here there's still scope for the deep state actors themselves having learned as well as they go along. So in the beginning, they, they they were naive enough to go, right, what do we want? Afghanistan. Okay, let's tack on Al-Qaeda. The reason we're going in there is because Al-Qaeda, okay, we go in, we're wiping out Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan for bombings on 9-11, plus those who harbor terrorists, the Taliban, now stick in this guy who's on the board of directors of UNICAL, Hamid Karzai, boom. New, new new regime. Off we go. Now, let's do business. And it doesn't work. And they're like, well, why isn't this working? Okay, troop surge all the way up to 100,000. Ten years later, it's still not working. 
they they haven't simply carried on in the face, you know, the definition of madness is doing the same thing and expecting different results. They they have changed tax up and down and this way and that way. Um, we've already discussed the, the the meager troop numbers involved for a country. I don't know what the population of Afghanistan, thirty some million. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, it, it's 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 widely discussed in the mainstream that the Taliban, after 16 years plus 10 years prior to that, 26 years now, still there, still rule, still popular support. I think it's starting to dawn on them that they're not going anywhere. But the whole point was that they were they were never meant to go anywhere. That what was the point uh, in the beginning in, in taking Afghanistan? It was to hold Afghanistan. Well, hold no, Afghanistan. in their declared objectives, it was to get rid of the Taliban, and that's why they put in Hamid Karzai, and they were fighting the Taliban. I know, nine eleven, yeah, it was because nine eleven. I mean, because terrorism, because freedom and democracy, but that's what we've been talking about. That's all the narrative that the mainstream media inanely bullshits us with and has been for 17 years. But the whole point from the very beginning, what I was going to say at the beginning was that that from 2002, it suggests that they knew that they had to be in Afghanistan again to prevent Chinese expansion, prevent Eurasian integration. And the, the only thing, there's nothing they can do in Afghanistan except hold it. There's nothing they want to do with Afghanistan except keep it in a state where it's terrorism, terrorism, terrorism. We have to be there. We have to be there. We have to be there. And and as they understood that at the time, and as as things have developed since then, it's confirmed to them that that's what they need to do. And right now, it's like, well, let's just stay in Afghanistan because it's not that we want to do anything with the country, but we want to keep other uh, other countries like China uh, and uh, primarily China from doing and and Russia as well from doing anything with Afghanistan. So it's like squatting on a property with your guns. You don't want to use it. You don't need the country. You want to just make sure that they don't get it. Because if they get it, what they would do with it would be bad for you. But you don't have anything to do with it other than just hold it against them. Well, there, there seems to be another uh, point to this, and that is that um, since things seem to be, you know, even though there is a, we have a little, there we go. Uh, there has been um, a kind of a, um, and we'll, I think we'll get to this a little later, but um, uh, certainly, you know, Trump has um, scaled down the support for moderate jihadis in Syria. And so there's this kind of redirect, a uh, refocus on Afghanistan to some extent. Um, and another component to this is, you know, the U.S. has spent uh, upwards of, you know, there are some estimates, $800 billion to a trillion dollars in the last 16, 17 years in Afghanistan. Uh, mm-hmm. This on contractors, on the military, uh, propping up the, the, the government, um, and basically has, uh, well, you can argue both ways. You can say that, um, you know, it's got nothing to show for it. Uh, but then, you know, if, if the goal is to just maintain or squat uh, on Afghanistan, then, then in the minds of some of these people, the trillion dollars is, is worth the money. Um, well, you could bring so, in the opium there if you wanted, like you were talking about earlier. Yes, that's a whole other revenue stream. As, as, a, way, as a way to finance it, no? Mm-hmm. So um, th- this is a whole other component. Uh, you know, if, if, if the CIA has been pulled out of uh, or effectively pulled out to some degree in, in Syria, they can now um, uh, refocus their energies on Afghanistan, where, you know, where they have this incredible cash cow of heroin. Um, so, and I wonder also if, 
if after, you know, that so much has been made about Russia uh, getting um, getting its its butt whooped by Afghanistan uh, in, in the war between uh, 1980 and 1989, um, when in fact that, that's not completely true. Um, Afghanistan has always been a, a kind of Soviet satellite or Russian satellite mm. and influenced. Uh, and for the few years after the war, it was still kind of uh, um, stabilized by a Russian-supported government. Um, which is something that we don't really hear about, um, or how how much the Afghani population actually admires what Russia has done uh, over the decades for Afghanistan, uh, when arguably it, it's it's been at you know one of its best kind of most um, socially supportive uh, environments for for the average person. Um, but uh, just getting back to what we're seeing. Go ahead. I'm I'm not up too much on 20th century Afghanistan, but I don't think uh, that's the Afghan view of it. Um, the, the, it was it was never a Soviet satellite, so to speak. That was the accusation in the 80s, but um, it was only in, in early 1970s that a left-leaning social democrat type government was elected. And then that was under attack in a counter coup, and then 1979 happens. I, but up till then, I think Afghanistan was um, an ally of the West. It was a fr- friendly with Britain and, and the US. Um, just, just pointing that out. Well, <laughs> and and, and since then, I mean, since the war in the 80s, Afghanistan, the, the ordinary Afghanis would have seen um, the Russians as the invader, as the enemy. Uh, today well, is probably I'm changing. Not sure that's, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think that. Well, uh, I've been reading this book uh, by Steve Cole, um, "Ghost Wars on the Afghanistan War," and that's the that's the impression that I get from reading this book. That at the time, um, you know, a lot of Afghans saw the 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 Soviets as the invaders, and um, but. Um, there have been a couple articles that we've put up on SOT by uh, Andre Viltchek, mm-hmm. and he's just been traveling around in Afghanistan recently and talking to all kinds of people. And the the impression he got was that the vast majority of the people he talks to absolutely love the Russians and look back on the time of Russian influence as mm-hmm. as being like one of the greatest, you know, as well, essentially what it looks like is that um, in retrospect, the Russians look a lot better than anything they've gotten out of the Americans or the Taliban. Well, yeah. So, so nowadays they they look back on the Russians as basically like almost saviors and great Probably, people yeah. because things were so much better compared to what came mm-hmm. after the war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the war itself was a was a kind of a um, you know U.S. supported uh, extremist uh, mm-hmm. up the Mujahideen um, right uh, kind of conflict uh, when prior to that. Um, yeah, satellite is probably too too strong a, a description, uh, but but there certainly were influences that that made um, as in that uh, Andre Vlachek article. Um, a lot of Afghani's uh, harken back to the time when there was infrastructure, there was a semblance of stability. Uh, in, in fact, it was it was pretty Western in some ways and kind of developed. Um, so, 
Yeah, I mean, I think what what we saw there was was in embryo what we've seen in Chechnya uh, in the mm. '90s, what we've seen in Syria recently, well, uh, yeah. and and in Libya. Well, well, the, yeah. I mean, the thing about it is that in in, in 1978, the uh, there was a, a communist socialist government uh, that kind of seized power in in a, in a kind of short-lived revolution, and they. Um, they that that government when they came under attack from the Western-backed uh, Mujahideen guerrilla guerrilla fighters, they officially invited the Russians in. Now you can mm-hmm. say that that government wasn't you know representing the Afghan people, ever, but officially they were invited by by the the at the time the the Afghan government to to intervene, you know, uh, because it was a socialist-slash-communist government in, in name anyway. Um, yeah, but I, I think over the over the course of the first half of the of the twentieth century, Afghanistan was fair, had fairly, at least you know, let's say from the thirties, forties, fifties after the war, etc. They, uh, they it was you know, especially in the bigger cities like in Kabul and stuff, it was fairly, uh, fairly well developed. You know, I mean, you all have seen the pictures of, uh, I mean, not that those pictures are representative of everybody in Kabul, but certainly there was it was a certain it was a a Western was a, a more or less a secular. Uh, a kind of minded uh, society, at least in, in the in the in the major urban centers, you know. Um, I mean, they're still Islamic, but they weren't like uh, like the Taliban, basically, right? Um, so yeah. So so really, just as I, repeating. Go ahead, Neil. Can I just um? Bring in something interesting Sergey Lavrov said about this mm-hmm. new, same old Trump announcement last week. Um, he said that an, an interesting footnote about this new U.S. strategy is that it makes makes it possible to contact the Taliban mm-hmm. without preconditions before they meet. Um In addition, uh, according to Lavrov, was keen to point out that according to previous UN Security Council resolutions, the Taliban may now sit at the negotiations table if they break off their ties with terrorists, cease armed struggle, and affirm their respect for the Afghan constitution. So just point that out that there's an opening there for the normalization of the status quo, which is that the Taliban rule most of the country in mm-hmm. Afghanistan and that the future would involve them. So, and in a, if you take that, uh, that alongside the hint from Trump that we're done with nation building as it applies to Afghanistan, we're not seeking a, you know, to create a democratic haven here anymore. We'll accept whatever comes out of a long-term status quo. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, I, I thought that was interesting because it's uh, it, it is a new it's at least some small new direction yeah. in U.S. policy mm-hmm. or promises to be. Yeah, and that's been the the kind of um, I don't think there have been any official statements, but the the kind of rumors and analysis on the on the situation has been that Pakistan and Russia and China <clears throat> would actually prefer to sit down with the Taliban and come to an agreement with them 
And of course, mm-hmm. the Americans have been dead set against that, you know, no talking to the Taliban. In fact, uh, right. we just put up an article recently that the Taliban basically surrendered at various points or tried to surrender and the, and the U.S. wouldn't do it. They said, no, we're, we'd rather just kill you all. So no, you got to keep fighting. Yeah, you got to keep stay fighting. Here. So, so that's something that the, the Russians and, and the, the Pakistanis and the Chinese have been actually trying to do is actually because they realize that it's it's a total um, lose lose situation if you just try to keep fighting the Taliban because they'll just keep fighting back and and mm-hmm. and like the the situation in Afghanistan in the eighties showed that like a guerrilla guerrilla warfare you can't win against guerrilla warfare in that environment it's same same thing in like in Chechnya you have to take a, a slightly different approach and you can't actually, win. go ahead go. yeah go ahead can't win finish with your shit. Oh, um, and the Russians actually showed what can be done kind of in, in Chechnya, how there was a ma- like two major wars with Chechnya, but what they actually ended up doing was talking, you know, sitting down and finding the, the, the so-called rebels that you could talk to and coming to an agreement with them. And that, and look what that's led to in Chechnya. I mean, it's, it's, uh, right. you know, it's yeah, rebuilt. So, but, it works, but. Yeah, given that, though, I think we can allow for the fact that the Americans aren't complete idiots and complete military noobs, and that if after 17 years they haven't uh, achieved that, then it's because they haven't wanted to. Mm. Uh, that that is the whole point, uh, mm-hmm. that uh, we're not interested in having... Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like the same as the war on terror, right? The war on terror was launched as this kind of like uh, war against terrorism, right, that can be anywhere and will keep going forever, wherever we say it is. Uh, it's the same thing in Afghanistan. That's mm-hmm. what they want, and and that uh, that backs up the point I was making earlier on. That basically the, the, their intention in Afghanistan from the very beginning, uh, from 2002 and before 2002, because they drew up the plans to go to Afghanistan before 2002. In fact, in 1999, um, that that their intention all along was simply to hold that territory. And how do you justify a foreign occupation, military occupation of a country? Uh, I, to hold it, how, how do you justify that unless you've got a, 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 an enemy that you're fighting mm. and, that, and that that enemy is a threat to the homeland that's what they're saying that's why they're in Afghanistan yeah. but it's, it's nonsense, of course it's nonsense and uh, if, if they had actually wanted to bring freedom and democracy or a version of it that was acceptable to the Afghan people uh, they could have done it in, in, in two or three years Yeah, it would have been done in 2005 but here we are in 2017 and they're sending more troops and saying, well, don't know when it's going to end. Well, you know, at this point, I think I'm going to go ahead and call that a load of bollocks mm-hmm. and assume that the reason you want to, the reason you are there and the reason you want to stay there and the reason you're saying that this war is going to go on is because you want that war to go on because you want to justify your troops in the country for some other reason. I, you want to have a presence in that country that no one else can have access to that country. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was talking about earlier on. Yeah. So will <clears throat> so will it just continue on business as usual, or might there be a possibility of an opening where um, you know Russia and China and Pakistan are able to um, you know do something? I, maybe maybe I in think the talks? That, they, they, I think it'll eventually if it continues on the way China and Russia and Iran and even Turkey now and stuff wanted to go uh, with this Chinese initiative along with the Russians that uh, eventually. Well, it'll just become a fait accompli because pretty much all the countries around Afghanistan into the Middle East, including, you know, all the Middle Eastern countries, will all be part of a new network. Mm-hmm. And then what's America going to do? You know, it's kind of like if there's somebody's blocking the road, what do you do? You just stop there and go, oh, damn. Well, you just go around them. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. 
there's somebody's blocking a piece of field that you want to build a roll on well then you just put a little curve in, in that bit of field and you leave the person standing there and say good job there you go we'll say hi to you every time we drive past on the road and you're standing on that piece of ground that you denied to us well very good after after Iraq the the US can't um sacrifice 50,000 soldiers and have the population you know agree with it mm-hmm. um we saw that because that's how the, the the whole nature of everything changed with Obama now it was drone warfare against Pakistan and Yemen and Somalia and other places and it was proxy war- warfare in Libya and Syria um, they'll maintain a, a forward presence in Afghanistan, but only if the troops are safe behind garrison walls. They're not actually going to go out and fight the Taliban. And they are engaging with them a bit. And you see the Taliban are picking them off. In recent weeks, there have been attacks on, on NATO convoys, uh, guerrilla attacks, and they'll respond here and there. But or back in April, the big show of force, the mother of all bombs, right? <laughs> it was just blown up in a random valley. Probably no one was killed. Or there was no major stronghold of Taliban, so to speak. Um, <clears throat> so as, as as days go by, as the years go by, the, the risk to open warfare, open engagement um, increases for the U.S., which means their, their ability for conventional use of their own forces diminishes with time. So yeah, it's inevitable that it's winding down anyway. Um, so I don't know, it remains to be seen. Maybe Trump's left openings for it to accelerate um, that process. I don't think it's, I don't think he's accelerated. They can, it, it's nice and open in that they can spin it as a, as a surge. And therefore, uh, the U.S. doubling down. Mm-hmm. But in practice, um, it probably isn't. Hmm. Well, maybe we can move on to Syria, unless mm-hmm. we have any final thoughts on Afghanistan. Because no. there have been some, uh, the Russians have made some interesting statements in the last week. Um, and these, this comes on the heels of some major military operations. So uh, the Russian Ministry of Defense is kind of, every once in a while they give like a rundown of their operations so far. And they just kind of gave another um, kind of summary of the in, their entire um, kind of operations since September 2015. So apparently they launched like 90,000 airstrikes in the last hour, almost two years. And so, and like ran down, gave a rundown of the, the the territory recaptured by the Syrians. So basically, what's happened is in the last month or so, the the Syrians have retaken a ton of um, kind of the central desert areas between the the west of the country that's the most populated and the east um, where Deir ez is and the north where Raqqa is. So this kind of area around Palmyra. So in the past uh, in the past couple of weeks, they there was this big area right in central um, Syria that's basically ISIS occupied north of Palmyra, and the the Syrians cre- um, like boxed in the these ISIS fighters into two pockets. <clears throat> Apparently, one of those pockets is almost totally closed now, and they're still advancing east. So the like ISIS is just pretty much being uh, routed on the battlefield these past weeks. And this comes also, you know, as the the de-escal- escalation zones that were announced uh, a couple months ago have been, you know, in operation. So I think 
three of them are up and running and the fourth is kind of still in the works. But basically, they've been called a success. <clears throat> and um, I pretty much, you know, all all the countries involved, even on on the other side. So, um, you know, from the West, they all seem to be saying they're working. So this basically means that, you know, the war is pretty much turned around. And um, so the Russians have... I th- do you have the quote, Neil, about what the... I think it was the... Not the not Shoigu, but one of the kind of military generals from Russia had said about the civil war. Do you have that, or can I just paraphrase it? Yeah, it's no, yeah, he just pr- said it's, pr- it's pretty much over. Yeah, yeah, civil war is pretty much over, you know, and so that that seems to be the case. So, um, it's just a, it's been an interesting development over the past months where we had, um, you know, Trump end the CIA, you know, terror training program, terror supporting program, um, you know, allegedly, but it seems to have had an effect if so. And it's just, you know, the Syrians are taking territory left, right, and center. Um, so yeah, that's one U S kind of, uh, destabilization and chaos creation project that has, uh, gone down the tubes. Thanks to Russia. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, uh, concurrent with that, there yeah. seems to be a, a consolidation of um, al-Nusra forces and, yeah. and moderate jihadis. There was a recent piece in RT on, uh, on a kind of gathering of 25,000 or so um, uh, opposition, so-called uh, jihadis, uh, that have kind of reformed in Syria. Um, but it... it you know, in context to, to what we've been hearing, it really just seems like their their last ditch effort, their last desperate stand to uh, to continue what they've been doing. Mm-hmm. And apparently, um, you know, they might be ragtag and and uh, in some ways, but they they're still in some ways kind of offering fierce resistance around uh, certain areas and their Zor and and um, they still seem to be pretty well armed and and have been given pretty good instructions for asymmetrical warfare and uh, the Syrian Arab army of uh, Assad is is still kind of under threat in certain areas. So while while it seems like it's um, the worst of it's over, uh, this twenty five thousand aims to um, to continue, uh, but. You know, it just seems inevitable that they're going to be crushed. We just heard another story that um, 800 um, ISIL forces, I think it was, um, and a lot of their support uh, infrastructure has been uh, destroyed uh, just in the past day or so. Um, And I think that's what it's going to be. It's going to be, you know, the the, the Syrian Arab army with the help of Russian air uh, support is going to continue to to chip away um, at at these forces, and uh, you know, it, it's just a question of time. I think it'll probably be another six or ten months. Who knows? That's just a guess. Mm-hmm. Um, before they're they're pretty much eradicated, except for a few kind of groups here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, as long as the uh, Iraqis can can get a handle on the situation in Iraq, you know. Um, and of course, that's slightly more difficult, I suppose, if you're suspicious about the the kind of <laughs> the U.S. military presence there, you know, uh, and and the extent to which the Iraqi government and military 
can actually function as an independent government and military, you know, um, because there's a lot of, obviously, there's, uh, I mean, it looks like uh, ISIS will be pretty much booted out of all of Syria, probably. I mean, Deir Azor is pretty much done at this point. Um, and then there's the area around Deir Azor that's, um, that's supposedly still held, but it's mostly kind of, uh, mostly desert. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, the Russian foreign minister saying that it, it's over, it, it was pretty accurate, that isn't uh, hyperbole, you know, uh, except as long, and I suppose other than the Iraqis getting a handle on the Syrian army would have to then secure the border or be able mm-hmm. to secure the border along with, along with maybe with the help of the Russians, you know, that once you've more or less ridded, rid the country of, of the jihadis, then you just keep a close eye on all your borders and anything that moves that isn't identified gets bloated mm-hmm. uh, to keep them out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the big problem, though, uh, in the short term, is that in ISIS's wake, the Americans are building um, bases, um, mostly airfields, but they also have some serious um, uh, number of um, SUVs and equipment parked all along the Syrian border with Jordan um, and, of course, inside Iraq mm-hmm. and in northeast Syria. Um, that, was, that was leaked by the Turkish, some Turkish outlet last month that there are like eight, eight or ten U.S. bases being built or at least airfields, some kind of base um, inside, inside Syria in the northeast. Um, but I think, I think that that's not really an issue in the sense that uh, because most of their of their um, most their, their 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 line of force or their their initiative or their their drive over the past you know really since Russia uh, came in, but really over the past year uh, in particular, they've been pushing for uh, and it's been spoken about publicly now, like in, in Western in the Western media about uh, a Kurdistan, you know. Uh, Assyrian Kurdistan. That seems to have been their plan B, basically. So I, I think they've, given that that plan is online and has been online for quite a while, they don't really have uh, an intention of, of of staying in Syria. I think they see the writings on the wall, and even though mm-hmm. they've got a few bases and a few advisors here and there, or whatever, um, those would be quickly, uh, um, you know, liberated by the by the Syrian army in the situation where you basically have. Uh, Assad's still in power, the Syrian army dominant, no jihadis anywhere. Then America has no ability to to stay there, especially with the Russians, uh, uh, with their permanent military bases and you know full support of the of the Syrian government and military. They uh, the Americans would be their position, their, uh, their their whatever military bases they have would be untenable, uh, and they would have they would have to go. But I think and I think they realize that they have realized that, and that's why they've been pushing for this Kurdistan business because the whole point we. We should remind people the whole point of the Syrian uh, civil war that was, you know, initiated by outside forces, including the U.S., was to um, was to stop, uh, basically, stop Iran, uh, primarily to stop Iran, um, and uh, kind of after after the sanctions were lifted on Iran to stop Iranian uh, oil and gas supplies uh, being a a kind of a 
what's the term they use, the, the Europeans use for diversification from Russian supplies. Well, here you go. Here's some Iranian supplies and Iran's being kind of somewhat aligned with Russia, you know. That's a, that's a bad news, and it's bad news for Saudi Arabia, which is why you've got this enmity between Saudi Arabia and Iran. So the whole point, and, and why the Saudis were directly involved in Syria, was was basically because if you have Syria as uh, a country that has always been basically under Assad, aligned with Russia, uh, and aligned with Iran, um, then that's really bad for Saudi Arabia. That's why they tried to destroy Syria. Um, so it seems that that that, that that's uh, that that's the fact that, that that's the fact that that's the case was is borne out by this plan B of America which they've suddenly switched to uh, just you know maybe 18 months ago or so which was the Kurds are our best friends now and uh, and now there's talk of of, of a, a Kurdistan you know in 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 northern Syria and a Kurdistan in uh, northern Iraq which is why which as we've mentioned before on the show uh, this is what has pushed you saw a turnaround from uh, from the Turks as well, kind of pushed them, kind of quieted down er- Erdogan and his anti-Assad rhetoric, uh, and has pushed them into the arms of Russia, and to, and to a certain extent, extent Iran, um, because of course the Turks do not want a Kurdistan on their border either in Iraq uh, or in Syria, because there's a chance that it would join up with the Kurds in Syria and you could have a big conflict there. But of course. This is just this is the fingerprints of the Americans, you know, where they just like create situations that make certain areas of the globe ripe for for violence, ripe for for social or, or civil civil conflict, you know, or, or, or conflict between countries, you know. Um, hmm. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with the, the whole Kurdistan business. I mean, they, I think yeah. they're they were encouraged to Syrian Kurdistan or sorry, Iraqi Kurdistan were meant to have, I think, a vote on independ- a referendum on independence. I think in October or was September, September October. And they're they're being uh, lobbied to kind of because uh, they have a kind of devolved government there. The prime minister of Iraqi Kurdistan is being um, they, they were trying to get him to postpone it to just wait and see type thing, you know? Because there's obviously other plans afoot, you know, and there's other things to be considered rather than just going ahead and declaring independence uh, from Iraq, you know. So I think he's been getting a lot of uh, information from different people, including the Americans, you know. Because the, the point is, if you can get Iraqi Kurdistan to, to declare independence or have a referendum, vote for independence, become independent, well, then that gives serious legs to a Syrian Kurdistan. You know, because they're they're kind of contiguous, and that would do the Americans. Uh, the Americans are very happy about that, you know. Um, but then, in the process, they if they try to they have to keep the Turks online because if they piss off the Turks, then uh, and the and the Turks and the Iranians can do a deal, then you basically have. Um, you, know, you have a, a land border from, uh, or, or a, a, a way for Iranian gas to go through Turkey to Europe. But I think the primary route for for the Iranians for their gas to Europe was straight across kind of Iraq, Syria, and to the Mediterranean, um, and then maybe an undersea pipeline up to you know over to Greece or something like that. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, interestingly, the I think it was Erdogan this last week said that. Uh, Turkey and Iran were in talks um, and considering joint military operations against uh, Kurdish militants. Right. And then Iran, of course, said, "Oh no, we, you know, there's no deal like that. We would, we were not doing that." But Erdogan didn't say that it was planned. He just said that they were discussing it. So mm-hmm. the, the Iranian um, uh, denial comes across as kind of just, um, you know, yeah, possible denial for public, for public, uh, yeah, yeah, for public, public consumption, consumption, basically. 
Yeah. yeah, and so yeah, because Iranians Iran have a problem with the Kurds as well. You know, mm-hmm. that, that that threatens, and they don't have necessarily that problem with them. But certainly, if one chunk of Iraq and, and then Syria were to get independence, uh, you would have yeah, it would it would inspire a independent an independence campaign probably in 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 Iran, and they obviously they want to avoid that at all costs. You know, because mm-hmm. that, so that can can become violent. You know, right. So the more support that the the Americans give the Kurds in Syria, the further it will push Turkey and Iran together, and right. and potentially Iraq as well. Uh, you right. know, depending on how this Iraqi Kurdistan independence thing goes. Mm-hmm. So really, um, they're well, kind of, they're, 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 they're kind of stuck, you know. Right, and but they're going to um, go ahead anyway, and that's the defining that's a hallmark of American foreign policy over the past, certainly since Russia came on the scene is that you know oh shit. Uh, this doesn't look like a good situation for us. Well, let's go ahead anyway. Yeah. That's their policy. You know, they, they don't they don't stop and reconsider. They just say charge ahead. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. What were you saying, Arjun? Oh, just that uh, um, after Trump's Afghanistan Afga- Afghanistan speech, the or around the same time maybe the, the U.S. military had said that they have they have no intention of staying in Syria after ISIS is defeated. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, how, how, how far can you trust state, statements like that? It's hard to tell. Um, usually you can't. But, it, but it's interesting still that they're, you know, that's, that's their official policy is, that, you know, they're yeah. sticking to their stated goal, which is to eliminate ISIS. I mean, they've got to do that in order to keep any kind of credibility because that's not why they yeah. were in Syria. But by saying right. that, they kind of have to hold themselves to that, um, you know, that public relations image that that's why they're yeah. there. So really they'll mm-hmm. have no justification for being there once ISIS is defeated in Syria. Well, well, they can't, I mean, they can't be there. If ISIS is, in that scenario, ISIS is defeated in Syria, there are no more jihadis. The, the, the law and order is restored, let's say, under an Assad government uh, and with the Syrian military in charge and with Russian air bases. I mean, you know, so we're, we're talking about Syria as a, a sovereign country again with its own military and its own government. Uh, in that scenario, there's no way that American, a few small, and they are relatively small American military bases in uh, in Syria could 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 stay because well, what's going to happen? You're just going to get you know you're going to get a few hundred or a few thousand Syrian soldiers to just surround them, mm-hmm. surround each of the military bases, and say you've got 24 hours to leave. What are they going to do? Yeah, Call an airstrike or something? Yeah. So I mean, yeah, they have to go, obviously, and that's why they're saying that because I think they realise they have to go. But of course, there might be there might be a catch to that where it's like we have no intention of staying in Syria, but we might stay in, in Syrian Kurdistan. Mm-hmm. Well, if we the, can get it, the, there is another uh, state actor that that's uh, kind of biding its time, I think, and uh-huh. trying to angle into Syria, and that is Israel. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu recently made a trip to visit Putin in Moscow, uh, where he was basically kind of pleading his case for, I think, um, so there's a border between uh, Syria and Israel, the Golan Heights, and Israel has um, kind of claimed this buffer zone that that, uh, it continually kind of moves deeper into uh, Syria in order to protect itself. From, from Syria, effectively. Um, mm. So he visited uh, Putin and, and was um, trying to get support uh, for um, this, this encroachment, basically. 
when by international law and, and UN resolutions, I mean, Israel shouldn't even be uh, as far in as it is, but, but who cares? I mean, Israel will do whatever it wants to do. Um, but basically, uh, Netanyahu was rebuffed by Putin. At least that's what they're, they're saying happened. And you have to imagine that, that now that things are becoming a little more settled uh, in Syria, uh, Israel is uh, freaking out a little bit um, and trying to uh, find some way to uh, perpetuate its plan B, which was, which was the, uh, the kind of um, partitioning of Syria. And, um, and of course, there's a, there's a lot of monetary gain uh, to be had from this. Uh, if Israel can manage to keep the, the areas in the Golan Heights, uh, it stands to make a lot of money from, uh, I think, gas fields that have been identified there. Um, it has business dealings with uh, Genie Energy, which is uh, owned by, um, partially owned by Dick Cheney and the Rothschilds and a bunch of other uh, of these uh, of these types. Um, so. You know what? What will Israel do? Is is another question we might ask um, because it's not going to give up. Uh, it it has a, a big kind of uh, pathological uh, uh, commitment towards uh, towards destroying Syria and and Iran for that matter. So, if you guys have any thoughts on that, I'd be interested in. Yeah, a senior Likud party member this week said. Um in triumphantly that within a few months the Israeli flag will fly in a new Kurdistan oh. <laughs> heard wishful that. thinking maybe maybe part of the policy seems to be to kill as many people in northern Iraq and northeastern Syria as possible um, in the liberation of Mosul Mosul is destroyed completely gone it's a 1500 year old city it no longer exists um they're now saying there are actually about 40,000 bodies buried under the rubble, cooking in the 40-degree temperature, um, which is about at least 10 times higher than the official U.S. estimates. Um, and as for Syria calming down, well, I don't know. Raqqa is a smaller city, but um, it's currently being leveled to the ground as well by Kurds and their American backers and U.S. airstrikes. Um, th these people, I, I don't see them just giving up. Yeah, they're they're going for it. They're going for something, Kurdistan, or not? Maybe just a permanent black hole in the middle of the Middle East. They'll be happy with that. Okay. Uh, in the same way that we described Afghanistan, mm -hmm. a kind of wild west of that perpetually justifies the presence of. Uh, U.S. or Israeli interest. Well, yeah, I think they'll try and do the obviously the historical precedent there for uh, uh, Kurdistan, the Kurdish people. I mean, they've been promised it for eighty years. Um, the Kurds a homeland, so there's a lot of uh, historical political pre precedent for our, our background to them deserving uh, a homeland. So I think that'll be leveraged to the max to try and actually create it. But then, uh, as we've been saying. That brings up the problem of uh, Turkey, apparently not um, 
not wanting to see that at all, ever, uh, and Iran backing them. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that's a pretty that doesn't doesn't augur well for the future type thing. Um, Immovable object, irresistible force. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it could just it'll just ignite more wars, basically it'll ignite more conflict, and um, and that's of course that's this is all part of it. the fact that this is all part of the plan is you know or ties in with the the um, the coup uh, last year, attempted coup last year in Turkey because they wanted to get rid of uh, they wanted to get rid of um, Erdogan, because uh, of his resistance to um, to the establishment of a, a Kurdish uh, Kurdish state, they wanted to put someone in there who would be, uh, you know, more more compliant in that in that respect, and would not uh, someone in Turkey who would not kick up a fuss, who would uh, uh, offer would or would be happy about a, a Syrian Kurdistan uh, and not freak out about it, and even if the Kurds in Turkey were then to uh, to, to try and declare, declare some independence, you would have someone in Turkey who would give a, you know, give the nod to that or agree to, to some kind of autonomy autonomy for the Kurds in Turkey. But Tur- uh, Erdogan is not that person, so that's a problem, yeah. So maybe we should be expecting to see, well, I was going to say expect to see another coup in Turkey, but after <laughs> after the last one and what Erdogan did, there's freaking no chance. Like, I mean, he just about, he just, he like went really way over I don't know if he went over the top but he made damn sure uh, that uh, mm-hmm. everybody who could possibly even have thought about being involved in the coup was uh, taken out of out of commission in one way or another you know yeah he, he didn't control his own country yet I mean there's still US jets fly out of bases in Turkey mm. who's the boss there you know, and there are even Germans. I mean, they're, well, they're talking about threatening to not to kick the Germans out, but the Germans jets still fly from mm-hmm. bases in in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Who's the boss? And that's why I'm worried about Syria. In, in the more pessimistic view, I have a uh, fear that the current use of Syrian Kurds to um, massacre, apparently, it appears as many Syrian civilians as possible in Raqqa and elsewhere. Um, in the process of defeating ISIS, in quotes, may yet spin this off into an actual Syrian civil war, a whole other conflict, um, an ethnic, an ethnic split, which hasn't actually happened yet, and which Syria is the kind of country that would be um, at risk of it because it's so it's multi-ethnic. So. Yeah. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. So, um, anything else, guys? That's yeah. Afghanistan and Syria. Yeah, I think that's it for me on those topics. Yeah. Nothing else of note going on in the world? Nah, it's all calm, isn't it? Apart from Afghanistan and Syria, everything's calm. Okay, apart from that hurricane down in the <laughs> Gulf. <laughs> but yeah. It actually wasn't as bad as it could have been. Yeah, they always tend to exaggerate the effects of those. No, yeah, not well, all. I mean, them, but usually, yeah. I mean, it's been it's been really calm hurricane wise for the past um, like what yeah. ten, year, ten years or so, more twelve years. Yeah. So this is the first the first um, three, yeah. first hurricane that actually um, you know hit land in all that time. Mm-hmm. 
In the in the Gulf, I think, right? Uh, well, I think in on I think in the states anywhere. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Sandy Sandy didn't hit land. Is that it? Yeah. Well, Sandy hit uh, Long Island. Uh, it did. Yeah. To some degree. Uh, but I think I, I think maybe it's that it doesn't actually come ashore. Maybe that's the point. Yeah. Uh, you know, as in move over land. I think Sandy maybe just skirted the edge and then moved on out into the Atlantic. So maybe yeah, it's true that the, the first one to actually make landfall and move on in, you know, mm-hmm. in twelve years. Yeah, but uh, a lot of rain. Yeah, um, wouldn't mind. Yeah, a lot of rain actually. Water rain. And other than that, I mean, there's just been. Uh, I guess there's more. Well, ridiculous protests in the states, but nothing to really write home about. More of the same. The yeah, the monument controversy continues, and mm-hmm. uh, and Trump's still flying things. out. Trump's still flying into the heartland to talk directly to people. Mm-hmm. Um, every, again, it's the same pattern as before. He got partially, at least, stitched up by by the generals at Camp David. So he announces his Afghan. Strategy will be more of the same, basically. Um, even though, as you said, it goes against his gut instincts. So, immediately after he's <laughs> contained by the deep state, he goes to the people, goes to Arizona, and uh, does another campaign style rally to to literally rally his base mm-hmm. and <laughs> cue the media talking heads and people like James James Clapper then saying, "Okay, this guy's." totally unfit to be president and now questioning his mental sanity. Mm-hmm. Um, slowly, slowly pushing the impeachment card, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's really it's really unprecedented, I mean, to have Clapper actually come out and say that uh, that that our sitting president is a is is mentally unstable and other things of that uh, of that mm-hmm. ill. Uh, yeah. It's just it's it's almost shocking really, if if you didn't have some background on on what this was really about. Trump yeah. did hit back and said, you know, Clapper's basically liar. a liar. Uh, came out before some uh, congressional committee and and said, um, you know, we weren't uh, spying on our people to the extent that we were or something. And and then Clapper mm. later said, oh well, I I misspoke or, you know, mm. I didn't understand the question. Some such nonsense. But um, if people understood that it's guys like Clapper who are being pushed front and center mm. by the uh, by the most uh, 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 persistent um, and and really vile forces of of the U.S. to mm-hmm. get Trump out of office, if, you know, if they have that understanding uh, of what Clapper is, um, uh, you know, you. you you'd hope that things would change in the minds of a lot of people mm. uh, instead of, Oh, he's a respected veteran intelligence agent. The guy is a, the guy is a pathological liar and a psycho. Thank you. Mm. Uh, mentally then, unstable. <laughs> he's yeah. mentally unstable. Yes. <laughs> so people, you know, this is the, you know, the, the reverse is true. Trump may be this egotistical, narcissistic, you know, blowhard with orange hair, but you know, he, he's, not these he's not these warmongering uh pathological types well, it's, that, it's it's evidence of just how much those that deep state element actually still hates trump you know and i use i'm using that as my yardstick basically as soon as they stop hating on trump 
mm-hmm. and trying to get him impeached and calling him, you know, unfit to be president and stuff. When they stop doing that and start talking nice about him, then I'll decide that Trump has, <laughs> quote unquote, caved to the deep state. But because there's no other reason. I mean, really, are we to assume that Clapper is saying that he's unfit to be president because of all these other things? Because he, you know, said made some racist comments and because he's got orange hair and he doesn't look president. I mean, that's, that's not look at George W. Bush. Nobody had a problem with George W. Bush. He couldn't string a freaking sentence together. He was like putting a freaking a dummy up there. You know what I mean? And nobody said a word about him. Every the media did everything it possibly could to make George Bush look like an intellectual. You know, against all of the hard evidence every time he opened his mouth. So they don't have a problem with dummies or idiots or orange colored you know sexist being in office as president. Or, or, or they don't have they don't have a problem with unpresidential people being uh, being president. It's only when those people have a mind of their own or, or for, for whatever reason are, are doing something that they don't like. Now, we can speculate as to, as to what that is, but uh, I don't understand why these people uh, like Clapper and obviously most of the media hate Trump still, and why they still hate him. That's For me, that's the bottom line. When I hear people saying, oh, Trump has definitely folded. He's, that's it. That's the last straw. He's, I, I'm, just, I've, I'm just washing my hands of Trump now because he's just folded. That's it. It's all over. And then the next day, you see CNN coming out or uh, with, you know, with another kind of ca- cartoon of Trump in a KKK outfit or something. I mean, well, if he folded to the deep state, which includes CNN, obviously, and most of the media, why are they still attacking him? So, yeah, that's my yardstick anyway. But don't ask me what Trump is doing good because, well, I suppose you could always look at what might have been happening right now if Hillary had got in power. So maybe use that as a, a reference as well and just let your imagination run wild as to what Hillary could have, could have been doing vis-a-vis Russia and uh, China and stuff, you know. Um, so maybe that's what they hate about Trump, that he's not willing to do really extreme stuff. So just because Trump appears to go along with, you know, standard U.S. foreign policy or whatever, that doesn't mean he's folded to this deep state because you don't know what the deep state wants of him. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's more nuanced than people would. It's usually more nuanced than people would like it to be or people think it is. Um, anyway. Anyway. What else was there? Barcelona. Yeah. Not much going on there. 500,000 people in Barcelona marching in the streets. It was really funny, actually, just a couple of days ago. Yesterday, actually, Saturday. Uh, uh, anti, anti-fear, basically, protest. But it was really funny because you had uh, Carlos... Uh, Felipe, sorry, Felipe VI, who is the king of Spain, young guy, uh, and his wife, and the Prime Minister Mariano Rajoy, and other notables along the front, you know, of this big march down on the, the, the streets of or Barcelona carrying banners and stuff. But behind them, and there was a helicopter shot of it, you know, so most of them, a lot of people were carrying, uh, you know, uh, whatever, no fear or whatever uh, posters. But behind them, there was just not far behind the, these, these dignitaries. Uh, they had a big, people were carrying above their heads a big... Um, a big kind of poster, you know, like made of cloth or something, it was massive. And it was obviously designed, it was facing up, it was designed to be seen by helicopters or whatever, you know, and there was a helicopter there filming it for the TV, and it was, and it said, Rajoy, you know, the Prime Minister, and Felipe the King, Felipe VI, uh, people who want peace don't sell arms to 
don't sell weapons to like totalitarian regimes or, or, or some, basically it was something like, it was a, a big posters accusing them, the people right in front of them, i.e. the king and the prime minister of being uh, weapons traders to, you know, totalitarian regimes. Um Naming them for it, and <laughs> they were just walking along. I.e., Saudi Arabia. Yeah, that's the same flag that was hit with that, that Theresa May was hit with. Yeah, after the bombings. So, and and loads of the people they presented it as a no fear protest, but loads of the people all had no no weapons trading, uh, no arms sales, uh, no Spanish arms sales, or and, and one's accusing him again on you know upright posters of, uh, of 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 being an arms dealer. Um, him and the Prime Minister, the King and the Prime Minister. So it was pretty funny, you know. So it wasn't just a no fear march. Uh, it was also an anti anti political corruption in Spain march with the, the corrupt politicians <laughs> standing right in front of them. Funny. Anyway, yes, yeah, check it out. There's a YouTube, a video on YouTube of it, or there's an RT as well. Um, just yesterday, Saturday during the day. Um. Yeah, I think we'll leave it there, will we? All right. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Any last, any last stories you wanted to cover? Milan, is that it? Well, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll follow up on Venezuela next week since uh, yeah, oh, yeah. seem to be riled up a little bit yeah. more. But um, that that seems to be a whole topic of its own. But, yeah, there'll uh, probably there'll be more news in the next week, and we can uh, we can give a summary next week. Sounds good. All right, everyone. Uh, well, thanks for listening in. Uh, thanks for bearing with us as we get into all these uh, crazy topics. I know it can be kind of, uh, what's the word, taxing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look at what's going on all the time when it seems to be more of the same, but uh, that's what we got to do. So thanks, everyone, and we will talk again next week. Make sure to tune in Friday for the Health and Wellness Show, and uh, everyone take care. Thank you, everyone. Have a, thanks for listening. Have a good evening. Bye-bye.